Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey everyone, this is Morgan McClure, and I am joined by my co-host Aaron Mansfield. Hey guys. And Stephen Vaughn. Hello. Welcome to episode five, where we will be discussing the twisted gospel. In this two-part episode, we'll be exploring what the gospel is and what it isn't. Our prayer is that by the end of this episode, you'll have a fresh, deeper understanding of the good news and its life-changing impact for now and for eternity. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and get started. It is uh, good to be back in the recording studio. Uh, Stephen was on vacation last week, and but we're back enjoying some <laughs> time back. with the family. You down where is it in Pigeon Forge? Is that Tennessee? Where you yeah, Tennessee? it was a good time. Feel uh, refreshed and ready to be back to work and ready to go. So. That's good. That's good. This is going to be a busy month and a lot going on Ooh. here at the church and things. My wife and I are a month away from yesterday from the due date of our little girl, and so we're. It's getting closer and closer. I feel like uh, you should insert the final countdown. Final countdown. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Finally get to meet that's right. Baby Mansfield. That's right. That's I'm so right. excited. All right. Well, today we're talking about the gospel and what is the gospel and what it isn't. And uh, so as we kind of begin the discussion today, why don't we just take a moment and think about what are some ways uh, that people typically understand or how, if you had to ask somebody what the gospel is, what do you think would be some responses that you would get? I think what's so interesting about this is that you'll get a myriad of so many different types of responses. I know the one that I always heard growing up was, you know, Jesus came to save me from my sins so that I can go to heaven one day. And that's the gospel. That's it. Mm. Jesus just popped on the scene. He's like, you're a sinner. You got to get saved. I'll do it for you. Now let's go to heaven. Okay. 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 Yeah, that's a classic. I think another one is like, uh, well, it's when you ask Jesus into your heart. Which, by the way, controversial uh, note maybe, but that's not mentioned in the Bible. It's never mentioned in the Bible to ask Jesus into your heart. That is a modern day um, twist to the gospel. (laughs) But I think that those are just a couple that you might hear. I mean, I've heard things like, you know, well, um, Jesus is going to give me purpose now, you know? Mm -hmm. So the gospel is purpose. He brings purpose into my chaotic life and Jesus makes sense of my world. Yeah. Or um, I don't have to go to hell, you know? It's like a, it's like that get out of jail free in Monopoly. It's like a spiritual get out of hell free card kind Mm -hmm. of deal. So it only matters when you get to the end of the board game. Yeah. So I can live like I want to on earth. And then I can go and live in heaven. And so, I mean, hey, what what is not to want about that, you know, is the world's perception in some cases of that. Yeah, and I think even for probably many Christians, it's this this idea of like, okay, well, uh, to be um, really born again, the gospel is that I now get a relationship with Jesus, yeah. right? And um, and like you were saying, like I now have this new sense of purpose, I the indwelling Holy Spirit. And, you know, all of those things are true. I mean, uh, maybe not all of them, but but uh, like you mentioned, there's a few of them there that are maybe kind of push against. But a lot the of the purpose and uh, I have a relationship. Relationship, the peace, I get to go to right. heaven. A lot of that, that is true. Yeah, and they may be true enough, and yet none of them individually or even collectively really is the gospel, right? Right. Um, I think if we think about ways that people uh, have a tendency to share the gospel, mm-hmm. right, in evangelism, what do you think are some ways that people have typically done that? And what are the things in the, then that we are emphasizing uh, in those moments, maybe. Well, I mean, I remember growing up like the classic, right? The classic is the Romans road. You mm-hmm. have to know the Romans road. If you don't know the Romans road, you don't know the gospel, you know? Mm-hmm. And while the Romans road, I will say, can be a helpful tool in sharing how to have a relationship with Christ, the Romans road is not the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just mm-hmm. the gospel. The gospel is more than the Romans road. So while it might That's show right. us how to how to follow the gospel, sure, it's a great tool. It's not just what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful, we can get into that feeling of like where mm-hmm. we equivocate, uh, 
equivocate where we make them equal and we're like, well, that's the gospel, you know? Yeah. And that can be dangerous. I think yeah. about one that uh, you've already kind of mentioned it, but being so personal in the sense of, well, Jesus died for me. Mm-hmm. And it's about, really, it's more of an individual center. I mean, because of America and where we live, I mean, there's just this fierce individualism of our Western mm-hmm. culture that ev- the world revolves around mm-hmm. us. Everything revolves around me. And so Jesus died for me. And Jesus, um, it, 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 while that might be true, we've sometimes elevated to the, the sense that that it, the gospel is actually more about us than it is about Jesus. Yeah, and I think um, especially with the Romans Road or these um, repeated sort of formulaic ideas for presenting the gospel, they are very helpful in, um, you know, communication tools. But when they get replaced as, you know, this is the gospel, like in tracks, you know, it just makes mm. this sort of almost like a fast food sort of gospel where, you know, oh, yeah, I got my track. I went through it. I'm, I'm good, you know. Um, but that's it just goes back to that individualism and the very personal um, in the bad kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, see, the gospel, I and mean, even when you were talking about the gospel tracks, I think a lot of, you know, tracks and literature, you know, things that probably came out 60, 70 years ago were one of those things, I mean, I think about like the gospel crusades and things that were happening around the country at that time was, you know, once again, I think a, a majority of our society kind of affirmed the same type of worldview, although they would have not maybe... Um, um, believed in God or believed in Christ and the work of Christ. I think by and large, I mean, you go back 80 years and, and America looked very different than it does today. And so it was, it was kind of, people kind of had that type of Judeo-Christian worldview of thinking, maybe if, even if they didn't embrace it for themselves. At least in principle. Maybe in principle. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I think people need to be reminded of the propositions of the gospel. They need to be reminded of, of, of kind of that Romans Road type of evangelistic approach. But, but, but today, things are so very different than that. Mm-hmm. And if you just give somebody, you know, the propositions of the gospel, these, these sentences of, of truth and of doctrine with Without understanding the whole story of what is this kind of this kind of uh, narrative of, of 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 God's story of what God's been doing in human history and and all of yeah. that, then then those things maybe do not really mean as much to people when they first hear it. Yeah, I can. I, I always remember when I'm thinking about this. Of um, I was on a missions trip in high school in Virginia Beach, and we were sharing the gospel with people um, in a community that one day. And I remember talking to this guy and just asking him what he knew about the Bible. And it was like one of those times where I was confronted with the fact that people don't know the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I found an adult man who didn't really have an understanding of the Bible. And so I remember we started in Genesis and we just worked the high points. Like you can't, we didn't have time to go through every chapter, right? But we hit the high points of the gospel starting in Genesis all the way to um, the end. And I remember how freeing it was and just like, whoa, you know, like how in the world, how freeing is this to share the gospel as a whole and not just piecemeal out the New Testament? Mm -hmm. Because that's what a lot of the training that we might have had in our lives was. And like you said, it was based on the fact that kids grew up knowing who Moses was. Kids grew up knowing who Adam and Eve was. That's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, sharing based on how we were taught to share the gospel might not be that effective in this modern society where people don't have a base and a foundation to understand mm. That's what right. we're saying. That's right. So yeah. if, if we could kind of shift it a little bit and think about, okay, well, then how is the gospel? I mean, as we think about, because all of us serve on staff at a local church, um, as we kind of think about within our own church culture, um, what do you think often is emphasized when people hear the word gospel. I mean, when they hear that, what do you think are some things that we emphasize or tend to elevate in that gospel presentation or when we, when, I mean, let me just throw that out there. What do you, what comes to your mind? I think definitely birth, death, resurrection of Christ, very important, very central to the gospel message, but it also lends to this idea of, okay, now knowing this, I make a decision at one point in my life, 
and then I'm good. It, going back to that um, sort of one and done, and there's a lack mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. understanding of the whole story, so there's a lack of motivation for further transformation. That's so right. No, that's so right. That's good. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes, playing off of what you're saying, I think it's taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, mm-hmm. which is the foundational a foundational element of the gospel, right? But we equivocate the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire gospel, right? So like yeah. when Paul writes about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's writing a culmination point on the tip top of everything that's a foundational piece, mm-hmm. but he's writing based on the rest of the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And what is the gospel? Well, it's it's God's message and to us of how he um, has ruled throughout time and how he wants to have a relationship with us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we make Jesus, the gospel of Christ, this only piece like what you're saying. And I, I see that all the time where it's mm-hmm. like we leave out, well, the gospel started in Genesis, right? Yeah. The gospel is not a Jesus thing or a New Testament thing only. The gospel started in Genesis and even before Genesis, um, as Genesis says, and it's carried through and is carrying through and will continue to carry through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we have really emphasized the moment in time. Mm-hmm. We've, we've emphasized the moment a person gives their life to Christ, the moment they trust Christ. You know, you, the, the Bible uses so many different words to describe that moment that talks about being born again or mm-hmm. being saved or, um, uh, you know, following Jesus. So there's all of these different words that are used in the Bible to describe that moment. But I think what's happened is we've elevated in our society today and how the gospel is typically presented is it's presented in that moment in time make a decision, make a profession mm-hmm. uh, for this gospel, make a profession, make a decision. And, and, and so that, so that eternity is secured yeah. and, and we've left it there. Yeah. We've, we've kind of, we, and like, what you were saying decision. without, with understanding it is important. Mm-hmm. It's critical. Like that's necessary, but we've sometimes elevated that moment of justification. The moment that God declares us righteous in his sight yep. to the exclusion of really real transformation. Right. Because, and, and then justification becomes the end instead of the beginning that's right of the journey yeah that's we're right. like well i was justified uh peace out you know yeah. and it's like well you're forgetting about the whole rest of like like we were talking about just before we started sanctification glorification mm. when was the last time you heard a lot of uh teaching and preaching on those two things you know you mm. hear a lot in our modern celebrity preacher style day of jesus loves you and he has purpose for you and he has grace amen that's in the mm-hmm. Bible. Yes. However, right. where's the sanctification and the glorification teaching and preaching in our modern day, you know? Sure. So I what think, we're... Yeah. Go ahead, Morgan. I, I was just... Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's why this is something that I'm so passionate about, especially with our generation millennials. We've... Mm. Our, our generation has kick-started leaving the evangelical church because of this, this lack of understanding of what comes next mm-hmm. in, in seeing a lack of true change and the full depth of the gospel being lived out. So... This is something that I am just so passionate about educating people and, you know, kind of taking off the blinders a little bit That's to right. see it in fuller perspective. That's right. So as we think about you, the listener today, you can probably think about ways that maybe we've elevated things in our circles or um, in your background regarding the gospel of what it is or what it's not. And so for those that are listening, we want to just take a moment. And I think it's really helpful before we kind of do this two-part series of the Twisted Gospel is before we're able to identify, okay, well, how did we, how, how have things, um, individuals or groups have distorted the gospel? have altered the gospel, have tried to improve upon the gospel, we need to first identify what is the gospel really? What Mm -hmm. is it really? And so, um, you know, like we said earlier, all of those different things that we would think about, Jesus came to die in my place. He, he, um, he, he gives purpose to my life. He, um, saves me, uh, for a, 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 um, something different. I mean, there's a, there's a change that's happened in my life. And while all those things are true enough, none of them individually or collectively is the gospel. And so if we say, okay, then what is the gospel? Um, how would we answer that question? I mean, how does the Bible answer that question? Yeah, well, so uh, that kind of goes back to where do we get the word gospel from, right? Okay, okay. let's um, begin there. It, it's not a English only word, right? So it like comes from foundations. English was a language that was created upon the foundation of other languages. I think sometimes in our American culture, we think, well, everybody's spoken English for (laughs) thousands of years. No, it's actually a 
language that actually came from a lot of other languages, if you want to be honest about it. So the word gospel, it's going to be found in the Greek New Testament, by the way. It is. uh, It's in the Greek form. And in the Greek form, in the noun, it would be euangelion. And in the verb, it would be euangelizo. Um, And uh, the noun is going to literally mean good news or this idea of a message and an announcement. Yeah, an announcement of of good news. It's this idea that it's happening, you know, kind of idea. And uh, listen up. And then the verb form is going to literally just mean to bring or announce the good news. So you are the one who's doing the action, right, with the verb. And these are found in the New Testament actually quite a bit. Um, a number of times. The, the noun is used 76 times mm-hmm. in the Bible. And, uh, in the verb, 54 times? 54 like times. That's, that's so there's a lot of emphasis a lot. on this. Like, this is not just like a minor point. When you use that's something right. that much, this is not a minor point. That's right. And um, they, they kind of are, these words too are kind of brought from a foundational word that's going to have the idea of a messenger. Mm-hmm. And it, it's this idea of a, um, in old English, a herald, right? Mm-hmm. H-E-R-A-L-D. You're heralding this good news. You're taking it far and wide. And you, this is something that has to be announced because it is so good, mm. you know? That's right. So as we think about, okay, that's that's maybe the word. It means good news. It means announcement, a good announcement. Um, but if we think about it, maybe taking it a step further, whose gospel is it, right? It's this announcement of good news. Um, it is good news in of itself, but what? whose good news is it? Yeah, and what makes it so good about that? Um, I, I think it's important to understand that this isn't just some good news that some people in the in the Old or New Testament came up with. This is God's good news. It's not just a mm. message about him. It is his news that he has been weaving together throughout all of time and in history since creation to now and then for times to come. Mm. So it's it's authored by God and it's owned by God. So it isn't and that is what the transcendent, you know, good news comes from because it isn't just something that um, you know, man owns. And something we didn't come up with. I, th- I think right. sometimes when we hear like mm-hmm. somebody talk about, hey, I was presented the gospel or I'm going to tell somebody about the gospel. What we're saying is I'm going to tell you this message, this good news about God. And it's and it's not merely only about God. It is, like you said, it's authored by God. It's owned by God. This is his message. Yeah. This is God's message of good news uh, to the world. And so it's having an understanding with that of keeping God and Christ at the center of the story, because the story is not revolving around us. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, if he's supposed to be center, mm. this is where we as um, listeners, and we're grouping ourselves into mm-hmm. that uh, realm, we have to look within and say, so when I share the gospel, or when I think of the gospel, who's center? Because who's mm-hmm. center means who's mentioned the most and who is the main point. Mm. Yeah. So think about earlier when you were saying about sharing the gospel, you need to call out to Jesus and he will forgive you of your sins and you can have a relationship and you can go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, who's the center of that? Me, you, right? <laughs> if we're sharing and if we're thinking about the gospel, we literally have to give the attribution to God and God alone. Mm-hmm. And he has to be front and center and making it, it's all about him and I just get to be a part of it, you yeah. know? Because whoever's at the center, that changes your entire understanding mm-hmm. of it. It does. And hopefully we'll show that over the next few minutes here, how that plays out. So um, if we think about, though, then, okay, that's that's the word. It means good news. But how is that word used in Scripture? Because it is used in Scripture in a few different ways. Um, you know, the first way that I think about would be um, – most people would think about the Gospels, mm-hmm. right? They would think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this type of literary genre of Scripture. And, and a Gospel was different than a letter. Uh, it was it was totally different. I mean, it was a new genre of the day. Yeah. If someone was to ask John Mark, you know, what are you writing? He says, oh, I'm writing the Gospel. They would be a what? You know, like, what is that? And it's, and it's, it's actually a... A particular literary genre about the person and work uh, of Christ. It's 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 actually those gospels are zoning in each one of them from a different perspective, from a different view, uh, personal perspective of of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at that. Uh, but then the word is not just used to describe those gospels. It's used in a in a different way. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the second the second way that I would think of would be as an announcement of a kingdom. You know. And you see that in the New Testament where 
um, the gospel is in this idea of announcing the kingdom because Jesus is here to fulfill prophecy, right? Mm. And John the Baptist, uh, I mean, he instantly comes to mind where he's like, repent, be baptized because the kingdom of heaven, it's coming, you know? And then even Jesus in like Mark uh, 1, where it says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, you know? And Jesus is just bringing this high idea home of like the kingdom of God, right? Um, it's a kingdom-centered mentality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that we need to, in our modern day, get a little bit more of that. And maybe That's not right. maybe not to a fault, right? You can go a little too far with some of well, that. Well, anyway, you can lean too far. Exactly. That's right. But, but, I think, but I think... we need a little bit more kingdom mentality in right. our gospel presentation yeah. because um, God... It's his kingdom. He's king. And uh, we get to be a part of his kingdom. Mm. And we are here to help with that, you know? And I think when we think more about it that way, it can help us put into perspective where we actually fit in. That's right, because you said it earlier that it didn't just begin with Christ coming. So, you know, the message, the good news of the gospel, it's authored by God. It begins with God and it's his story. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's constantly um, this, this looking for God's kingdom you know they're looking for the messiah and we're going to talk about that this the one who would break through his coming he would usher in this good news and and i find that verse in mark chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 so helpful because john the baptist you know said he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand but then jesus picks up on that message and he begins to proclaim the bible says the gospel of god saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And so right there in that verse, you see Jesus really proclaiming the gospel, but how he is proclaiming it is by talking about this kingdom, Mm -hmm. this kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that has always been because God uh, reigns, the Lord God reigns in heaven. And yet throughout the Old Testament history, you see how God was promising this coming kingdom. And so Jews for centuries were looking forward to the manifestation of God's kingdom really being ushered into this world. And what they were looking for was they were they were looking for a king, you know, I mean, all throughout different places, you know, you see um, people uh, hailing Jesus as king, looking to him as king, believing in him as, as the Messiah. And so and so what what happens there is that word gospel is used uh, to describe this announcement of the kingdom of God. And then you get into the epistles, right? The New Testament letters. And what happens is that that good news of the kingdom of God, um, by that point, becomes so focused upon the person and work of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, about what he has accomplished, that now the, the really the epistles refer to the gospel, not as the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, but they refer to it as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do you think that is? I think it's because... Uh, Jesus, you know, he was the embodiment of all of it and the fulfillment of it coming into the earth as, you know, God incarnate and seeing all these prophecies fulfilled and then suddenly his life and work, death, resurrection, it's it's all there and it's all wrapped up in one now. And it's not in a vacuum That's of right. its own point in time That's anymore. Right. It's not one event or one person or one prophecy a long time ago. It's all of it, and it's the culmination now. So we get the gospel of Jesus Christ. So who Jesus is as a person and what he did as his work, that is now the gospel. And I think maybe in our day, we've just so emphasized that to like what Stephen was saying, maybe the exclusion of remembering that that Jesus came to uh, bring about God's kingdom and uh, make a way for us to be a part of it. Well, it's also a way that history, I mean, if you think about how history is interpreted, just on a general basis in your own life and even how you were taught history, that's how we look at history. We Mm -hmm. look at the high points. So when we think of like the revolution of America and how America was founded, what do we think of the revolutionary war, right? Well, that's a culmination of events that didn't just happen in a vacuum that happened based on a lot of other Mm -hmm. things, you know? And when we look through history, we have a tendency as humans to do that. And I think we just do that with the gospel. We look at Jesus and we're like central figure, culmination. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about this, you know, and it's like, okay, well, yes, uh, based on the foundation of scripture and the foundation of the gospel as a whole, Jesus and what he did with his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection and his coming 
that is a that is the key piece now in understanding and having a relationship with God, right? Mm-hmm. He culminated it all. Yes. But we have to start with a foundation, especially in our modern day. So like mm-hmm. as we kind of shift through some of this, Morgan, how is this kingdom motif, this idea of a kingdom in the gospel, how does this start and begin in scripture? Like can yeah. we get kind of on this? Because we've we've teased it out a little bit, but I think in order for us to really, really hone in on the gospel, I think we really need to dig a little deeper into that idea. Sure. So the main thing, and we've mentioned it a couple times, but the, the thing that helps the most is to start to see the biblical meta narrative that happens throughout the whole of scripture. Which what so is, what is when we say meta narrative, it, it literally means beyond the story or the big story. Mm-hmm. So instead of seeing the Bible or the gospel even as little chunks of scripture here and there, or as isolated events, as isolated mm-hmm. events or individuals, we see it as the big story. That's right. So, and and the main theme of this big story is Jesus Christ, the good king, and his unfolding plan of redeeming and restoring all of creation back to God. So it ties it all together, you know, so we see from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about restoration and redemption and returning to the Lord. And there's a number of different ways. And I think, let me just say this for the listener who's listening. We can, there's a number of different ways that we can um, approach scripture as a whole and see certain themes that constantly run throughout scripture. So this is not the only one. Uh, There are many other different, you know, um, motifs and things that you can Mm -hmm. see running through the whole of the Bible. But what we want to do here is in a snapshot, because we could take all day uh, going through this, (laughs) days really, but we want to just help uh, as we think about, okay, the gospel is not an isolated event. Mm -hmm. While it is central upon the work uh, and, and person of Jesus Christ, um, it 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 was a part of uh, time, and it it affects our time. And mm-hmm. so, when we think about uh, really then placing our faith in Jesus Christ and uh, embracing the gospel for ourselves, it's this understanding that we are part of a greater story of this grand story that you're talking about. And yeah. so, what we want to do is we want to just kind of go throughout the whole Bible really quickly and just take some um, snapshots mm-hmm. in different places to kind of help folks think about, okay, well, how is this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of the kingdom of God, which Jesus comes to proclaim, which now we then embrace and say, well, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we see that playing out in different places? So let's just start with uh, in, in Genesis, right? So we yeah. open our Bible in the book of Genesis, and we see, okay, how does it play out in creation, even in the first two chapters? Because you know, we're tempted to want to begin uh, understanding the gospel from Genesis 3. I think wrongly, mm-hmm. That's where we begin often. Yes. Yeah, and we because talk man about, jumps on the scene, most right? definitely. We talk about the fall of man and we talk about that. But if we don't understand rightly, you know, our origins, our beginnings, that anthropology portion of, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, of what does it mean that... Um, so how do we see that? Even yeah. in Genesis yeah. 1 and 2, this aspect of a kingdom. Yeah. Well, first, before we do that, I just want to give some guideposts also for that's, listeners. Yeah, so good. with this this grand narrative, we're going to look at four major parts. So we'll see creation first, where the gospel begins in creation, the fall. Uh, I'm thinking it's four. Yeah. Redemption and restoration. I just wanted to make sure. And also, just so we're clear, too. We have condensed much of this yes. many times. If you were, if we were like teaching a class or something, or if you go to like a college and you take a class on this, a lot of times they'll have even five and six, and they'll mm-hmm. include things in there. So we're condensing this to try and get it into this. So um, just so that's stated up front. Oh, but, those are good. Those those are good guideposts. But starting with the first one that we have would be creation. And I think in order to understand this, you got to go to Genesis one and just read verse one. In the beginning, who? God. Well, who is this talking about? Well, the word used there is Elohim, and it's a name of God. And so I think instantly we need to study who is this Elohim. Well, the word's used in the plural sense. Why is it used in the plural? It says God. It doesn't say God's. Well, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are on display in Genesis 1. I'm a firm believer of that. Mm -hmm. The Trinity, who God is, is not something that just happens at one point in Scripture. It happens from the beginning. And so what does God do? Well, he creates a perfect world, right? And we always want to talk about how man was made in the image of God. But if you think in a perfect sense in Genesis 1, Man was truly made in the image of God, right? Um, while we carry the image of God maybe today, Adam and Eve had, Eve had something very special about them that we never 
will have until we get to be with God one day, right? And that is that they were at a perfect state, right? Mm -hmm. They were created in a perfect state. They did not have sin. They didn't have to worry about the effects of sin and all these things. They were perfect. And I think sometimes we just gloss over that. But think about that for a second. Like, wow, (laughs) you know, like they were perfect and they had a perfect union. So a perfect God created a perfect world with a perfect man and a perfect garden to have a perfect relationship with him. And I hear that. But I think about that God is one who's ruling Mm -hmm. over his creation. Mm -hmm. We we see one who has dominion over all, um, even as a king, even as a ruler. I mean, God's he speaks, you know, I mean, you think about how does a king, you know, um, decree things. They don't. They don't. They don't go down and get their hands around things. They speak. They speak and they mm-hmm. decree things. And so you see this aspect of God as the sovereign ruler, um, who is eternal, who has always existed, and yet He, like you're talking about, He as this good King, He creates a good and perfect world. Uh, people who are image bearers of Him, and people who, um, even even as we think about God as the sovereign ruler, giving dominion yeah. uh, to mankind, right? And so there's this aspect of this rule and this reigning. And and as this good King is central to all of it, I I think the most beautiful thing that we can see about this uh, with His creation of man is that God's intention for man was to bring glory to Himself as the King and the ruler of all. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I cited it here, says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But that ties back into the fact that God himself as the good king, he's worthy of all of that. And sometimes we we can forget that part of the gospel. Like we weren't created just to, you know, be humans. We were created with purpose to bring glory to the one who created us. Mm. Which and, is why whenever like... I remember like just a, actually a week and a half ago, I was talking with somebody and they were talking to me and they they were just talking about this idea of purpose in their life, mm-hmm. right? And like I was talking to him about this and I was like, well, are you looking at scripture and basing your purpose out of what you were created for? And it was like, well, you know, and, and it's this idea of why are people so despondent and why are they so empty? Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that it goes back to partly to Genesis here to where they're not fulfilling their purpose, right? Yeah. They're not giving glory to God and they're not enjoying him. And so there's an emptiness and a lack of God in their life. Mm-hmm. And if God is this good and this perfect and he did all of this, of course you're going to be I mean we see that him. there though <laughs> just as one too we see this perfect kingdom this mm-hmm. this creation that God uh, had made and um and then we don't get too far into Genesis right we get into chapter 3 and as Morgan was saying our second signpost we see this fall um we see that mankind um takes a turn right they begin to rebel against God's sovereign rule over his authority yeah and i think we would do well to emphasize what sin is. And Mm -hmm. here it is the disobedience and rebellion, like you said, from God's rulership, his dominion and his authority. Mm -hmm. And so today we always are like, oh man, our our country, our culture, this, they're just completely against authority. And it's like, well, yeah, (laughs) it's a literally, it's been a problem since the beginning. In the beginning, what was the big deal? It was challenging God's authority. Mm-hmm. Now, what do we see the big deal is challenging authority? Well, why is that? Because it's a sin problem. It is a core issue of mankind. And that desire even to challenge his authority, but also rise to equality with God's mm. authority. It, the The fall happened because man wanted to be on the throne. They wanted to be the king. And I say they, but we we all have that ingrained within us now. And so you see that, though, don't you? You see Adam and Eve's rebellion uh, against God, and yet, though, you see God's grand story, um, you know, of of even in Genesis three, you know, we see a glimmer of the gospel here, yeah. uh, where where one would come who would crush the serpent's head, amen, right? And so it's this it's it's this foreshadowing, this looking forward. Uh, to really one who would come. And we're not told much about that mm-hmm. other than what uh, will happen. And so we go throughout the Old Testament, and we could spend a ton of time here, mm-hmm. but just in a second to show that over the course of the Old Testament, as as God began to reveal more and more of himself to this fallen mankind, that, that God chose a people, right? He comes yeah. to somebody... Which um, generally, this is one of the fifth or sixth guideposts that's added somewhere. We're including it under this because of lack of time, basically. But mm-hmm. covenant... That's another do, motif you could run you through. You would do well yeah. 
to study the covenants of scripture. That's right. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and even how it flows into the New Testament, all these covenants, and how does it flow together? But you see the covenant that God made with Abraham. Mm -hmm. I will give you a land, an offspring, and a blessing, and um, this will happen. And then Abraham's like, what in the world? No, it's not going to happen, you know? And then all of a sudden, God blesses them with a miracle baby. But I even think about this as we think about God's blessing to Abraham coming through land and the seed. I mean, those are even elements of a kingdom, right? I yeah. mean, it's just like this mm-hmm. this kingdom is, is extending. And in, in order to, you know, have this kingdom passed, you need an heir. You need yeah. a son. And so there's this aspect of, you know, God's kingdom is coming in this way. God's going to bless all nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see then in the Old Testament, um, you know, prophecies of this Messiah. And you see that over and over and over. Right. And it's if, if right. you're looking for it, you can see it everywhere. I mean, absolutely everywhere with, Ab- the once again, the covenant with Abraham and sacrificing Isaac in the provision of a lamb. If you go back in scripture and read, you know, he said, uh, he said, God will provide a lamb mm-hmm. for us to sacrifice, but God, God provides a ram. So it's, it's different. So the lamb you're actually hearing about and what Abraham said, he's speaking on the coming Messiah and that eventual fulfillment of prophecy is God mm-hmm. will provide a lamb. And that's, then, that's, that's really right. Good. And there's this aspect of the Messiah that, you know, we've so associated. We think about Christ as the Messiah, but that word Messiah has has a kingliness to it. It's, mm-hmm. It means in the Old Testament, anointed one. And it was this uh, word that would have been used to describe somebody who has been anointed for this uh, kingly rule. And so you come then uh, in the Old Testament to the place of the kings, right? Mm-hmm. And you get somebody like Solomon and then the failures of Solomon and then David. And you're like, David's a man after God's own heart. This is, this is the king. This is the Messiah we're looking for. For, and then you find that, that David blows it, you know, and yeah. he's not, yeah. he's not the king. He's and not the think true about, king. Think about that too, though, from their perspective, like always looking for a king and then look at the, read the stories of kings. Mm-hmm. How devastating. And how devastating, discouraging and depressing that would be of just right. like, are you serious? Like we, right. we have to continue to wait. And then the next one comes up. Maybe this is the one. Nope, this isn't the one, yeah, you know, it's, it's... and um, it's just crazy. But then you think of the prophets and mm. how the prophets came and they gave more prophecy and they're like, hey, um, think of Isaiah, you know, like a lamb will come. He will be born here. He will come in this way, you know, and then they start getting a little bit more to whet their appetites of like, OK, now we have a little bit more of something to look for. I even, yeah. yeah. I even think about the kingdom, though, of mm-hmm. like the nation of Israel. And then as they're the let off into exile, and it's like, well, we begin again. And then they, then they return. And yeah, but this... God gives prophets in That's this. That's right. That's what I think of that time is like how gracious God is. God's grace, we always emphasize in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But in the Old Testament, grace is all over mm-hmm. as they're being devastated by them leaving the kingdom and being like, is it all over? Yeah. Was it all false? That was it. We blew it. God provides prophets and Isaiah, Jeremiah, the minor prophets to come in to continue the message and say, hey, it's not over. It's continuing, you know? And then all of a sudden there's the silent period that we call silent, but it wasn't silent, but um, where kind of the, some of the prophecy would have... Well, the Old Testament ends, I think, with this looking for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And and it's and you go back centuries of history and you see once again the devastation of the fall of man and and um the need for restoration, this need uh for redemption. And so we then know the New Testament, right? We've already mentioned John the Baptist mm-hmm. and kind of in this third signpost we see then he's kind of unveiling the king, you know, he's he, the herald. He's the one heralding yeah. uh, Christ and then Christ comes and, you know, I go back to that gospel of Mark because I think that's so critical where Jesus came and he says, he's proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And so Jesus then comes on the scene there in the New Testament and, and we see this, um, we see Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God. I mean, how many times in Jesus's message did he not refer to that the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of God? Uh, he talks about the kingdom of God being at hand. I think about yeah. um, the the ways that Jesus preached, even how he was hailed as king coming and, into yeah. Jerusalem. And it's no longer a looking for you know a, another king here and there, but Jesus himself is the true king because he is God himself. The name yes. Emmanuel, God with us. How many times do we actually sit and think about the fact that? Jesus, after all these centuries of kings and failures and, you know, covenant restoration, but then God himself, 
embodied as Christ mm-hmm. comes to to make right and to declare that my kingdom is coming. And, you know, um, where we saw so many times in the covenants where the people of Israel failed and they were led away by their kings into idol worship, this king who has come now, he's exchanging their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh so that they can truly love him and truly follow him. I love that in Ezekiel yeah. 36. You know, it's it's totally different this time. He flips the script on everything they've seen before in a yep. king. Yep, he is Jesus and the Christ. Yeah. And so he comes, like what you said, 100% God, right? And he had to because he's the anointed one, but he came as a hundred percent man mm-hmm. and he, he had to, why? Because he had to live the life that we were supposed to. What was man created for in Genesis, right? This is where the gospel comes back around. We see yeah. the first Adam's failure and then we first see Adam, as Paul talks about the second Adam. He had to come mm-hmm. and he had right. to live the perfect life because right. sheer perfection was destroyed at the fall for Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus comes and he lives as like Messiah, right? 100% mm-hmm. God, but he also is a 100% man and he lives the life we were supposed to in sheer perfection. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because he's the lamb as well, right? Mm-hmm. And he had to die as that lamb that would come, the perfect lamb of God, 100% God, 100% man. And he had to take upon him the fall, the sins, the rebellion of mankind. Right. So that the relationship could be restored. So this redemption could happen. And he does come. I think, you know, we, we, we realize that Jesus comes and we see this unveiling of the King in, um, with John the Baptist. And then even when Jesus is um, being tried by Pilate, you know, you see Pilate questioning. He says, you know, people tell me that you're a king. And even there, like Jesus admits that he's a king, mm-hmm. you know, he said he admits to that, this aspect, though, that my kingdom's not of this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, then even the aspect that I think we fail to think about sometimes is the ascension mm-hmm. of Christ, you know, and as the disciples there are, you know, Jesus is this now when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. They're they looking, were ready. They're they were ready, ready for this. <laughs> and and Jesus is like, hey, it's not for you to know the times. It's not for you to know. And, and we see then him being taken up into the clouds and there's this this ascension really this coronation yeah. of Jesus becoming the king of kings and lord of lords where he's exalted in all That's his right. glory where once he was lifted up in shame on the cross mm-hmm. now he is lifted up as the king and they get a glimpse once again of his glory and he said as you've seen him leave you'll see him return That's right and so we see Jesus so they saw Jesus's ascension as you know this good king who came to save his people. And now we look forward to really the restoration of, of God's kingdom. And we've gotten a taste. Right. Mm-hmm. As Christians today, I believe we get a taste of restoration, meaning we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Bible says that we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. So somehow I'm here, somehow I'm in Christ in heaven, and I don't understand necessarily maybe how it all works together, but we get a taste. But one day we will be glorified. There's we will a, receive our new bodies. We will be made like him, it says, you know? There, there, there's a phrase that we use a lot when we talk about this aspect of the kingdom, that the kingdom is already but it's not yet. Morgan, for people that are new to that phrase, they've never heard that. What does that really mean? Yeah. So it's kind of working with this uh, tension of what we already have as a promised part of the kingdom as, you know, that relationship with Christ. And we like Stephen was saying, we have a seat in the heavenlies and, and we and share. And the kingdom has come. I mean, Jesus has says come, the kingdom of God came, is at hand. I mean, and we're yeah. supposed to pray, your right. kingdom come, yes. your will be done. <laughs> but so. there's, right. there's the not yet of the fact that his kingdom has not been fully established as we live on this physical earth right now. And um, it, we're still in that that not yet of all nations coming to know him now and, and all people because it, it's it's not complete. We're we're in the in between, and um, it's it's the part that we still have to reckon with, and that's also one of the exciting things about the meta narrative is that it's still going on, and mm-hmm. we can still look forward mm-hmm. to this this conclusion. So as as we kind of tease these things out, I kind of enter into this question almost that I'll pose to you guys that I think of. It's like, so what's the significance then of understanding the gospel from a kingdom narrative, right? So we've we've really honed in on the kingdom narrative here, and I believe that that's a good thing, right? We've talked about why, but what's the significance of it? Like, what is my takeaways now that I kind of focus in on this? Hmm. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is this understanding that, well, the gospel is central regarding the person and work of Christ, 
but the gospel is God's story, mm-hmm. and it's something that God has authored, and and it's something now that He commissions me as a disciple of His um, to spread. And so, if we're not careful, I think what happens is we we isolate salvation, we isolate the gospel to only a moment in time, mm-hmm. and 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 we emphasize this aspect of now I'm saved for heaven, I'm mm-hmm. saved from my sin. And we'll we'll emphasize things that are well and good. I mean, they're very truths. I mean, they're truths, they're propositions, they're realities of what the gospel is. But if we're not careful, we'll we'll focus so much on that aspect of what God has done in salvation through the gospel that we fail to understand that the gospel changes my life now. And the gospel is calling me to something. There There is this aspect where, like you were saying, Morgan, the gospel, when we receive the gospel, when we put our faith and trust in Christ alone, in his finished work, right? This gospel, this good news, when we embrace that, it's the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning. And I think, you know, we've not, in, that the church today's not emphasized that. Yeah. And I, and what's so important, and then once you come to this understanding of our place within that big story and what mm-hmm. Christ has called us to now as his own and his children, is that it gives us a greater sense of responsibility for what we are now called to. I love that word because responsibility puts the onus back on me, but the focus on him. Right. Because every kingdom has a king Mm -hmm. and every king has subjects and servants Mm -hmm. and every servant has a responsibility to their master. Yeah. So what would you say is some of the responsibilities then? I think one of the biggest ones is uh, we're reminded continuously to be ready for Christ's return Hmm. and we're not to get distracted or lose focus or chase another gospel because there's a lot of time in between. Nobody knows the day or hour. So Mm. it's easy to become caught up in what we're seeing in the physical world, you know, what we're experiencing in our daily lives. And just to kind of be like, "Uh, it's on the back burner. He'll come back eventually, but we don't know. And there's many parables in in scripture talking about how important it is for us to be ready so we can stay alert and stay on top of that responsibility. Next, I think of preaching the gospel. One of the last things Jesus said to Mm. his disciples was, you know, they were ready the for the kingdom to be ushered in and inaugurated. Yeah. And Jesus says, go into all the world yeah. and preach the gospel. <laughs> and they're like, what? But so. because that's part, again, once the, the continuing story of all nations receiving that blessing and all nations becoming yeah. part and of it. And let me just piggyback off of that for a second, because yeah. I think it's very important for us to understand that that if we're not careful in every generation to understand rightly what the gospel is, then we will not rightly understand what it's not. Oh, so true. And, um, so true. and I know that's going to be our part too, but, but I think to say that right up front here, that if we don't understand what it is and how the gospel is this grand story, and mm-hmm. yes, it does, cent- it, it does center on the person and work of Christ, and it does require a response from us. There is this yeah. aspect that I have to believe, um, the, receive this gospel of grace by faith. So there is this responsibility of mine, mm-hmm. but but it's once again understanding that responsibility that that Christ is King, Christ is Lord. You know, there was a before all of our time because we're all you know, uh, we we weren't apart. I guess yeah, back in the eighties or seventies. <laughs> but you know, like when I talk to people older than me, sometimes you'll hear them talk about, "Well, have you accepted Christ as Savior and Lord?" You know, and like as if somehow there was this great controversy. There was yeah. there was this great controversy because is Jesus your Savior? Like there's this moment in time where you trust Christ, and then there's a moment later where He becomes the Lord of your life, and you've like really surrendered your life to Him. And that's that's a really terrible way to say it it's because kind because, of against Scripture. <laughs> well, because when Jesus becomes your Savior, He becomes your Lord, mm-hmm. whether you know it or not. He becomes your Lord, he, and I think it's and I think that's maybe honestly. Can I just say this? This this yeah. is where we maybe are not giving people a full understanding of the gospel when we present a, a, mm-hmm. a gospel presentation like we think of that. Because often we want to present the fact that Jesus is Savior, and everybody wants that aspect of it. Everybody wants um, to be saved from hell and have an eternity in heaven. I mean, I've never met a person yet that's told me they want to go to hell that I've shared the gospel with. But if we're not careful, we're not careful, we won't actually explain to them that embracing the gospel means that you're embracing Christ as mm-hmm. king. Mm-hmm. If you look at how Jesus shared the gospel in the New Testament, he, in a sense, almost tried to talk people out of getting saved. Mm-hmm. And I think that in our modern day, we would do well 
to put a little bit of how Jesus shared the gospel into the way we share the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we should sit around and be like, oh, you shouldn't get saved. But I think we would do well to mention the passages where Jesus says... I think about the rich young ruler. I mean, the rich young ruler is one example we could talk about You need to leave everything you have to follow me. You need to take up your cross daily and deny yourself. So, Or no one starts a building without counting the cost or puts his hand to the plow and looks back. But for the ruler, there was aspects that he was unwilling to relinquish really the rule and reign of his life mm-hmm. to, to to allow Christ well, to be that for him. And it kind of comes back, I mean, we could go all different ways, right? That's right. But whenever we are sharing the gospel, we have to emphasize the fact that when you get saved, he's going to become your Lord slash Savior, not mm-hmm. and Savior. Like yeah. it's, not a, it's not a one or the other, it's both and. So mm-hmm. when you come to Christ, I mean, the best way to say it is how Paul says it, you die with Christ. Mm-hmm. So what's common with dead people? They don't have any desires. And now you're living the life of Christ. So you're alive in Christ. It's not your life anymore. So you're dying to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you present the gospel that way, all of a sudden it's like, okay, time out. Maybe we need to think about the decision that we're making, which is where we need to be at when we're witnessing to people. Mm -hmm. We want witnessing to people and sharing the gospel to be this um, decision, like you said, that happens in an afternoon. Sharing the gospel can sometimes be months, Mm -hmm. years. You know, I heard a statistic that most people people don't embrace the gospel until after they've heard it seven times. I mean, that's kind of a statistic. And, and, you know, the, but the fact is maybe today we can think about the broad church as a whole. And we've so emphasized gospel profession Mm -hmm. rather than, than this gospel possession that that I've embraced and that has changed my life. And now it's, it sent me on a different path of living. And another thing, just a final thought that I have about that gospel possession and coming under Jesus's lordship. Anytime that we think about being under his rule, it should be a a joy because we know that Jesus is the good king Mm. and he is a king that can be trusted and submitting to his lordship is not, is not a heavy burden. He, and he says that, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is Mm. light. And so, of of all authorities that we would choose to submit to in life, Jesus is the most trustworthy and the most yeah. true. And the most good. Because, most you know, good. once again, like the emphasis, I think, in maybe the last number of decades of gospel presentation by and large is we focused on, you know, um, this aspect of uh, the, the gospel is turning away from sin. It's turning away uh, from our brokenness, turning away from our rebellion, but it's also a turn to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if and if we don't present people fully what they are turning to, this good king, this mm-hmm. good reign, this good kingdom, um, this these these things, then I think we've we leave people to um, really um, distort that mm-hmm. in different places. And so I think here's where we're going to pause. We're going to stop here. With our point, uh, with with part one of the episode, uh, just kind of laying this groundwork of what the gospel is. And so what we're going to do in our next episode is we're going to consider the danger of turning away to a different gospel mm-hmm. and look at the ways that some people have tended to alter, distort, or improve upon the gospel, which has had, you know, devastating um, consequences. And so I think it's understanding rightly what it is that we're also able then to, de- to determine what it's not. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at On our next episode, we'll be considering part two of the Twisted Gospel. So we look forward to seeing you there next time.